Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. But Peter was sleeping when he should have been praying, should have been preparing, should have been fighting a spiritual battle. Now we find him using a sword and going after the wrong enemy. It's the wrong sword. It's the wrong enemy. What was the right sword? The sword of the word of God. Jesus had given him his word. He said, I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be, I'm going to be crucified. Today we finish Pastor Sam's message, Arrested and Denied. We're taking up where we left off yesterday, starting in verse 50 of Matthew 26, right where our Lord is arrested upon Judas's betrayal. So let's listen in. Well, they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. Now, you need all the gospel accounts, and I highly recommend familiarizing yourself with them to fully get the big picture. Before Peter ever struck, one of the disciples, the disciples say, Shall we strike with the sword? Before or as our Lord is saying, No! too late. See, Peter's not going to wait for orders from the Lord. No, he's in a daze. He's just woken up. There's this great crowd. There's all these soldiers. They've got their lanterns. They've got their, their torches. They have swords and clubs. He hears them. He sees them. And, and, and listen, as he said he would, he puts his life on the line. He gets right out in front and goes for the, maybe the high priest if he was there, but he gets the high priest servant's ear. Tells us Peter was probably a better fisherman than swordsman. I don't know what good this would have possibly done, but I do know there are some very practical lessons in it. First of all, Peter was, well, he was sleeping when he should have been preparing. You see, there was a battle raging, and Jesus won his battle in prayer. Man, when they came to arrest, it was a done deal. Is there any other way? There's no other way. Is there any other way? Let's get this one more time. Is there any other way? There's no other way. All right, they come to arrest him. He's going. But Peter was sleeping when he should have been praying, should have been preparing, should have been fighting a spiritual battle. Now we find him using a sword and going after the wrong enemy. It's the wrong sword. It's the wrong enemy. What was the right sword? The sword of the word of God. Jesus had given him his word. He said, I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be, I'm going to be crucified. It, it had to happen. He's going to make that even clearer in a moment. But, but here's Peter. And I believe it was that lack of spiritual preparation, that lack of spiritual understanding. And that's why I said earlier, I'm ashamed. It's, I got to be honest with you. Unless I am walking and praying an hour in prayer, it is nearly an impossibility for me. If I get that quiet, that long, doesn't matter what position I get myself in, I can fall asleep on my knees. I can fall asleep on concrete. I can lay on my face and fall asleep. It just happens. As long as I move and things are fine, as soon as I stop, I'm in trouble. And so I'm just being honest. Man, if you want to pray with me, let's walk because it's like, otherwise you're going to have a nice prayer meeting and I'm going to wake up refreshed. And that's just what happens. But... But, but in this passage, what's happening is, is Peter's striking out. And there's a picture here because, of course, well, John's the one who tells us it was Peter. It's interesting. You don't get that in the other gospel accounts. Some have suggested that's because John wrote later. I won't argue with that. It's quite possible. He didn't want to put Peter's name in the other accounts because they were written earlier. It would have put Peter at risk. It's also possible that John, because he's so competitive with Peter throughout the gospel accounts, I mean, he's the one that mentions when they go to the tomb, we raced and I beat them. I mean, how important is that? 
It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's like, and I can beat Peter in a foot race. John, you're younger. I mean, but, but that isn't even the point. The point is, he says it was Peter, by the way. Wouldn't you guess it? Wouldn't you know it? If it didn't say it here, you could have figured it out. Who else would strike with the sword? No, it was Peter. And, and, and listen to the words of our Lord. Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. There's something else. Luke, the physician, tells us the great physician grabbed the ear, brushed it off, put it back on, and healed it completely. That's, that's a picture for us of what I believe has happened and needs to happen in many situations. I'm convinced that of the thousands and thousands of people in our community that don't attend church, well, who knows the percentage of them that used to? And I've noticed as I talk to people and I just ask, hey, you fellowship anywhere? Are you a Christian? Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you fellowship anywhere? No. Man, I had a worst experience in church. I'll never darken the door of another church. I'm like, well, what, all Christians offended you? All churches offended you? No, but what I went through, man, I'll never... And, and, and here's, here's what I'm thinking. That we, like Peter, oftentimes in our zeal to, de- to you know, protect the Lord or, or whatever foolish thing we may think we're doing, we've, we've lopped a few ears off in our season and in our own way. And, and our Lord is always having to come behind and do that work of restoration and healing. And, and I'm thinking, as we represent Him, we should just be saying, listen, that wasn't the Lord. I read somewhere, and it was disturbing that, and I'm hoping it's not even true, but it could be. I got an email saying Steven Spielberg is so upset over the passion that he's going to make a movie about the Crusades and show how Christians wiped out all these people. And see, the bad part of this isn't that he's offended because he's Jewish, and, and I don't know how Jewish he is or if he practices, but, but the, the bad part of it is, is that the Crusades really did happen. But that wasn't Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not what Jesus taught his disciples to do. That was people going out in his name, misrepresenting him. And and, and that happens all the time. And though we may not be wiping them out physically, it's possible that we have a few relatives. Those of you in your early years of Christianity, you know, you got so excited about the Lord, you went and told your parents, hey, I know you used to take me to church, but now I've really found the Lord. And by the way, you're going to hell. And, uh... You know, and they're like, we raised you, we loved you, we supported you, we took you to church, and then you went off, the, then they think, we're weird. No, you're weird. you got to stop. you got to go tell them, I'm sorry, I never should have spoken like that to you. First of all, you don't know if your parents are saved or not. And there are a lot of godly people in some different systems, and, but, but my point is simply this. If you've alienated anyone that says, well, I'll never go near that place, you should be reconciling that. And that's that's part of what the Lord's about doing, man. He's putting those ears back on and he's softening and, and tenderizing those hearts so that his word can once again take root. Well, Jesus goes on then to say, don't you think I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? 12 legions? That's 72,000 angels. Do you know in one night, 185,000 Assyrians were wiped out by one angel? You'll find it in 2 Kings somewhere. I'll let you just search. No, it's in 19. I don't want to make your life miserable. But 2 Kings 19, 185,000 Assyrians, one angel one night. Now Jesus is saying, look, I can get more than 72,000 angels down here just by asking well, you really don't need 72,000. It's only 600 guys. All they have is clubs and swords. I mean, one angel ought to be sufficient. 
But, but he's saying, I could get 12 legions of angels. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? It must. I have that word circled and underlined and bracketed. Why? Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, that must, it's not lifted up in song or lifted up in praise. It's lifted up on the cross. That's what he's talking about. And here he's saying, look, at this This has got to go down. This is a must do. This is the very purpose for which I've come. In that hour, Jesus says to the multitude, have you come out as against a robber? with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you didn't seize me and all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. All the disciples, I wonder what was going through Peter's mind. All of you are going to forsake me. I'll never forsake you. All of you are going to forsake me. They may, I never will. And now he has. Maybe you relate. Maybe you were the one of your little peer group and you're like, you know, I'm not sure about all these, but I'm sure about me. And you find, as Peter has to, as we all must, that, look, we're all made of the same stuff, tempted alike. Jesus always makes the way of escape. We rarely take it. And so Peter is, well, he's already failed his Lord. And where's the Lord in all this? We'll see. Those who had laid hold of Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. You know, there are actually six trials that our Lord would endure before the cross. First, Annas. He was the, well, he was the heir to the priesthood. He was the legitimate high priest, but he'd been taken often out of that position by Rome, who put his son-in-law Caiaphas, who they could more easily control. And uh, basically, the high priest at that time, their job was to keep the peace. And as long as they kept the peace, well, they could do whatever they wanted religiously as, as long as they weren't causing a stir politically. And, and that was a big problem here, you see. People are beginning to follow after Jesus and cry out, redeem us, save us. You remember only days before, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, Peter follows at a distance to the high priest courtyard, and I'll give him something for that. He's chopped off the high priest's servant's ear and now he's like following the crowd there to the high priest's courtyard and he went in and sat with the servants to the end and the chief priest, the elders, the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none but at last two false witnesses came forward. Oh, Mentioned that he was first before Annas, then before Caiaphas, then before the Sanhedrin. That was 71 men. It was their supreme court. The high priest was the presiding over it. And get this, everything about this trial was illegal. Trials were never to be held during the Passover. Trials were never to be held at night. Trials, well, they were never to be held in the place they were having it. And, and then another thing is, if you had witnesses, they had to testify one at a time, not together. They had to testify independently of the same crime, so were the same sin. And, and, and so all of this is going down illegally once they pass sentence. If the sentence is not guilty, well, you could pass sentence and let him go. But if it was guilty, you had to wait 24 hours before the sentence was passed and the decision was made, well, what do we do with them? Well, it wasn't so much of a big decision because it was too clear in the law what the penalty would be for any given crime. Well, 
in any case, as they seek false testimony, they find two false witnesses that come forward. Now, there are two kinds of false witnesses, those who just blatantly lie and those who just twist or stretch or manipulate the truth. And that's what these guys do. They say, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now, it sounds familiar, but it's not what Jesus said. He said, you destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. It was a prophecy that they would put him to death, and he would resurrect himself. It had nothing to do with the physical temple, and, and this charge is as bogus as it could be. And, and by the way, that's why Jesus doesn't respond. Well, one of two reasons. One, there's a prophetic reason. As a sheep before his shearers is silent, Isaiah tells us, so he opened not his mouth. But he was also silent because there had been no legitimate charges made. So the high priest arose and said, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest answered and said, I adjure you by the living God. You tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now he was putting Jesus under an oath here and Jesus had no, well, no option. He had to respond so Jesus says, it is as you said. What's he saying? I am the Christ and I am the Son of God. He is the Christ, not a Christ, and he is the Son, the only begotten Son of God. You see, we're children of God by adoption. We have to be born twice to become a child of God, physically and spiritually. But Jesus was always the Son of God and God the Son. So Jesus says, it's as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you'll see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest, hearing this, tore his clothes, saying, by the way, Yet one more thing that was illegal to do. He tears his clothes. It's a spiritual picture of the priesthood, which really had departed far long ago, far, far back. But, but now there's that physical picture. The priesthood is being torn asunder. And, and well, a new priest has arisen, our holy high priest, our Lord and Savior Jesus. The priest tears his clothes, says, He's spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now. You have heard his blasphemy. By the way, Jesus wasn't, he wasn't killed because of the miracles he worked or the things he taught or anything he did. He was killed for one reason and that alone. He was killed because he claimed to be the Christ, the son of the living God. And by the way, if that were not true, if Jesus weren't the Christ, if he weren't the son of the living God, that would have been blasphemy. The penalty would have been stoning. That's what their law required. But both prophetically and, well, just the hatred they had for him, they weren't willing to see him. Well, you couldn't see him see under a pile of stones. No, they wanted him lifted up. They wanted a public crucifixion where everyone could see, look at, you don't mess with Rome or this is what happens. But these are, this isn't Rome. This is Israel. This is, this is God's people. And they're saying, you don't mess with us. Because we're so, we become so much like them that that's where you're going. Not stoning, but the cross. He's spoken blasphemy. What need of witnesses do we have? What do you think? They answered, he is deserving of death. And by the way, again, that's true. If he were lying, if he were deceiving, if he were deceived. But what happens next? Also illegal, also unethical. They spat in his face. They beat him. 
Others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ. Who's the one who struck you? We know from the other accounts they blindfolded him and blindsided him. If you've ever taken a punch, you know, you're trying to roll with the punch. They blindfold you. There's no hope of that. You take the full force, the full brunt of that punch. Who is the one who struck you as they mock him? And again, they're fulfilling prophecy from Isaiah 50 and Isaiah 53. Now, Peter, we come back to him and we conclude with him. Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. Peter, you said you would never flee and you fled. You said you'd never forsake the Lord and you have. You said you'll never deny the Lord. He says you'll deny him three times. Now you've denied him once. I wonder if Peter was even thinking about it at this moment. If it was even registering with him. My gosh, I just denied my Lord. He starts with a lie. That's where it often starts. Verse 71, when he'd gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said "Those to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth, but he again denied with an oath, I do not know the man. He calls down an oath. He, he, he adds to his lie an oath. Of course, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Whatever is more than this is sin. But, but here's Peter, he's lied and he doesn't, Say, what am I doing? I'm, I'm denying my Lord. I told him I'd never do that. And now he's lied a second time and he's added an oath to the lie. And then, of course, the third time, after a while, we know from one of the gospel accounts, it was a whole hour later. I wonder, was he thinking at all in that hour? Was he like two strikes? Man, I got to get a grip. It's a dangerous thing to sit at the enemy's fire. It's a dangerous thing to be in the enemy's camp. And there's Peter. And so after a while... Those who stood by came and said to Peter, surely you are one of them because your speech betrays you. There's something not directly related, but I got to share it with you because it's a word of encouragement. If in fact you're the real thing, if you've really come to faith in Jesus, even if you're a baby Christian, even if you consider yourself the weakest or meekest or least of the Christians, your speech will still betray you. People will know you're not one of them because you really are. Well, you belong to him. You will be transformed. And, and, and in very practical ways, the very mindset you have, the very way you communicate, the things you communicate, the things that no longer come out of your mouth, and I realize some are going to be saying, well, man, that ain't me. I'm just really messed up there. Well, repent. Get it right. Change. Grow up. If you've been a Christian a while and you're still struggling with language, get a grip. You can do it. You can. But, but, but it's a side road. It's, it seems almost unimportant, but well, maybe not. Because how did Peter deny his Lord? Well, in his words. And, and we do that same thing, you see. So then note his third response. He began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. So he lies and he doesn't confess and repent. And then he lies and takes an oath, and he doesn't confess and repent. And he lies, and he, and he curses, and he swears. He's like, well, my language betrays me. I'll show you some language. I'm a fisherman. Uh, yeah, would, would, would one of his guys talk like this? Oh, I'm sure he wasn't saying it like that. There was nothing humorous in, in what he was going through. No, he was. this was the worst case scenario for him. And Peter's finding out what Jesus always knew. Peter was no better than James or John or Andrew or any of the rest. He is the same. And Peter remembered the word 
of the Lord, the word of Jesus, who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Here's the deal. Something else happens. I believe it's Luke who tells us. It's the last thing I'll share with you, and we'll pray together. As Peter denies our Lord the third time, and as the rooster crows, and as he remembers and as he is grieved, we're told that Jesus was being led from one of his trials to another. He was going through the very courtyard that Peter was in, and Jesus caught Peter's eye. And you know, all of us have an image of God. In fact, some of us have such a warped image of God, even, even the thing of praying, Abba, Father, maybe your father was so weird that just the idea that he calls himself Father, you just can't get a handle on the fact that, that he is nothing like your earthly father, and you wish he would have used some other name for him. But, but here's the thing. Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. Whatever your father may have been like, Jesus tells us what our heavenly father's like. And, and if you think God is harsh and unloving and condemning and critical and just waiting to catch you doing something wrong, listen, that's a no-brainer for God. It's not even hard for us. If we want to catch you doing something wrong, all we got to do is hang out with you for a few minutes. I started to say hours, but it's not necessary. See, we're, we're just so on the edge and it's so easy for us to misrepresent. And, and the point is this. If you think God's that way, then you're going to see Jesus looking at Peter and it's going to be a hard look. It's going to be, I told you so, you flake. You, yeah, I told you, you know, you think you're so tough. And, and it's easy for us to, to read that into the passage. Now, I have to admit, it's, it's only my personal opinion that Jesus' look would have been one of compassion. But that personal opinion is based on everything I've seen from and learned of our Lord and Savior Jesus, that he would have looked with eyes that said, Peter, I would have done anything to keep you from this moment. I tried to tell you, not I told you so, but I tried to steer you away from this failure. And I'm certain that when you fail, our Lord is saying the same thing, that if you could look in his eyes, he'd be saying, man, what do you think that service was about? What do you think those warnings were for? I didn't want you to go through this pain. Why? Sin causes separation. Peter was brokenhearted. He had severed his relationship with the Lord and he knew it. He sensed it. And he went out and wept bitterly. But listen, there's a sequel to all this. And, and you can read ahead. You don't have to wait a few weeks. No, Peter will be restored. He'll be used mightily. And you who have stumbled and fallen and faltered and misrepresented the Lord. And maybe at some point in this, you're just thinking, man, this is just too personal. This is too real. This is like who called and said I was coming. No, listen, the Lord knew you'd be here and he knows what we've done and where we're at. And he wants a complete and total restoration. It's this simple. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Faithful means you can count on him to do it. Just means it's right for him to do. But you've got to confess. You don't have to confess to me. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So you simply say, Father, Daddy, Abba, Father, forgive me my sin. And, and listen, if you're a Christian, you can, whatever it's been, whatever's alienated you, whatever separation you might feel, well, it's real. 
And so you can deal with that today. But if you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus, you're in the most serious situation possible. Because now having been confronted with the truth that Jesus, well, he, he let himself be arrested. He let himself be crucified. He came to die for your sins and mine. And he did. He suffered and died. He shed his blood for the remission, the forgiveness of our sin. For the joy set before him that the Father would say, well done, and that you'd be with him. While few of us will ever find ourselves in a situation even close to what Peter was in, fear will cause many of us to deny the Lord in a different way. Fear of what others may think, fear of repercussions for our faith, fear of losing out on some worldly thing. And this fear may not cause us to deny Christ, but many times it causes us to not declare him or to not honor him as we are supposed to. So before this happens, face this fear head on. Do this by remembering what Jesus told us in John 16:33, where he said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.